Hello, and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast for the week of April 19th. I'm Logan Finney. Joining me this week is Kelsey Mosley Morris, formerly of the Idaho Capital Sun and now reproductive rights reporter at their parent organization, State's Newsroom. Thanks for joining us, Kelsey. Thanks for having me. Uh, so we're here this week talking about the flurry of news regarding mifepristone, which is an FDA-approved um, medication that is used in certain abortion procedures. Now, can you, uh, for people like me who have never used mifepristone and others who aren't familiar, can you, you explain this drug and generally what's going on here, what the issue is? So mifepristone was approved in 2000 as one of two drugs to be used in abortion procedures before 10 weeks is the current rule. Um, the mifepristone is a medication that blocks uh, the hormone progesterone from being produced, which is what is needed for a pregnancy to continue. And so when that's used, the one pill, then you follow it with misoprostol, which is also used for uh, things like stomach ulcers, but for some reason it, it helps expel pregnancy tissue from the uterus, it causes contractions. So when they're used together, it really minimizes the side effects of uh, an abortion procedure. Before mifepristone was approved, they only used misoprostol, and that takes about 12 pills right, versus about, I think, three or four with the combination. So it's basically just a, a drug that's helpful to minimize the side effects of abortion care and to make it a lot easier. It's also used for mis miscarriage care. Um, if somebody experiences a miscarriage, it helps minimize those side effects too and resolve that issue more quickly um, for somebody who's dealing with um, the side effects of that, so the bleeding and all of that. Sure, so misoprostol causes the, the physical effects, the contractions, whereas mifepristone, which is the drug that's, it, it, that's having the legal issues here, has, has more of the hormonal effects. Yes. And so as we're recording this on Monday afternoon, um, like I referenced in the intro, there was a lot of news and a lot of things changed very quickly last week as federal courts weighed in on this. Uh, what's the state of play right now on Monday as we're talking at the beginning of the week? So there's, like you said, there's a lot going on. Uh, there, and it's all happened in the last like week and a half. So on Friday before Easter, uh, at about 4.30 p.m. our time, uh, the Texas ruling came out from Judge Matthew Kaczmarek, who decided that they should stay the FDA approval of the drug dating back to 2000. So that basically means the approval process at that point would be stopped. Not necessarily rescinded, but just paused while this case continues. And about 20 minutes after he issued that ruling, Washington, in their case, um, issued his ruling as well. The judge there is named Thomas Rice. He was appointed by, by former President Barack Obama, and Kaczmarek was appointed by former President Donald Trump. So we have these kind of competing ideologies and these competing lawsuits where Washington was, um, that lawsuit was initiated by the Washington AG's office, the Attorney General's office, to kind of head off this whole issue, honestly. Um, the lawsuit in Texas was filed in November. This one was filed in January in Washington. And they, the issues involved in both lawsuits are over mifepristone, but they have very different arguments. Uh, the one in Texas is launched by an alliance of um, kind of anti-abortion gynecologists and obstetricians and various people who got together to 
form this alliance through another organization, national organization called Alliance Defending Freedom, which has also been involved in a lot of different um, anti-abortion things here with legislation. Sure, and a lot of um, social issues more broadly. Correct. And they kind of deliberately chose this venue in Texas because they know that that judge in Amarillo gets assigned all of these cases. And they knew that he would kind of be more favorable to their side. So their argument is that mifepristone is unsafe to be used um, by women in these forms of pregnancy, especially at pr like privacy at home um, type abortion use. Uh, they, they contend that it's um, unsafe for their health and all sorts of things. And so Kaczmarek sided with them and said it was, it was unsafe to be used uh, and we should stop the approval for now. And so to, to have a case in the court system, to have legal standing, you have to have a person who's had some effect and you know, arguably some harm has to be shown. So is it just these doctors that are carrying this case? Do they have women who they have examples of who have been harmed by this? What's, what's going on there? As far as I recall, there is no specific individual. It is just this Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine uh, full of these physicians who have decided that it's an unsafe drug. But the evidence does not back them up. Um, the approval for the FDA has been widely um, scrutinized over the past two decades. And the only deaths that they have associated with mifepristone can't be causally attributed to mifepristone uh, by the FDA's own data. There have been 28 deaths since 2000 that were associated with mifepristone use, and that's out of 5.6 million doses. And most of those were people who had suicide um, as their cause of death, who had homicide as their cause of death, who had pulmonary embolisms, like things that just you can't really say were mifepristone. It was just that they happened to use that before they died. Sure. And so as, as you referenced this case originates in Texas and then the, the uh, Washington Attorney General begins to intercede. Um, how else have states like Washington kind of planned ahead for moments like this and reacted as they've happened? Uh, you had some, some really good reporting that I read in the Capitol Sun earlier. Thank you. Um, the Washington case, like I didn't get a chance to say the, the issues in their case that they brought were that the restrictions that they've placed on mifepristone um, for in-person dispense um, requirements and some of the other aspects that they have targeted, uh, that they're unreasonable given the, the demonstrated safety of the drug. And so they wanted Judge Rice to uh, completely remove those from the FDA's approval process. And instead, he just kind of issued this ruling that said, you need to maintain the status quo. Don't make any more changes for now while we're litigating this through. Sure, that's a popular move that judges make. Yeah. <laughs> Don't upset the status quo. Don't do anything. <laughs> um, and that affects 17 states that signed on to that lawsuit, including Oregon, Washington. Um, and so they have also stockpiled mifepristone in anticipation of this ruling out of Texas. They being? Uh, Washington, their government. The state of Washington, it's political, it's government? Yes. Um, Governor Jay Inslee kind of ordered that to happen. And they spent almost $2 million, I think it was, or almost $3 million. It was almost $3 million 
from their Department of Health to uh, stockpile about three three years worth of, of the drug. So they they did that in anticipation of potential changes and chaos happening, so that they would still have that available for people. And, and is they, that primarily intended for to have it available for Washington residents? Is that in anticipation of people in states like Idaho not being able to get access to it? What's the motivation there? They have mentioned that it's to protect their own residents, and as t they know that they are kind of a safe haven for people in places like Idaho. They especially name Idaho as a place that <clears throat> they see a lot of patients, and particularly since our legislature has passed some laws that are trying to target people who are traveling to Washington, um, especially for minors and things like that. I think they have seen that as attacks on their own um, laws and, and trying to reach into their jurisdiction. And so they're trying to make these moves to head off some of those what they see as attacks with these proactive and defensive moves. And so there's that um, coalition of 17 states led by the Washington Attorney General who are trying to stop the Texas judges movement. Um, and then we've got another coalition of states led by Attorney General Raul Labrador from here in Idaho that are, I believe, trying to stop Washington's move. Get, uh, get me caught up there and what's going on there with, with Attorney General Labrador. It's a little bit vague right now. Uh, Raul Labrador is leading a coalition of states, like you said, including Montana, uh, Utah, and I think that's it for our area. Um, but they've signed on to intervene in the Washington case, which means they want to be part of the arguments in court, and they want to be able to argue against Washington's case. There's not really a whole lot of examples I can point to of that happening in the past. And Washington kind of sees that as a stretch as far as you know their, their jurisdiction allows. Um, but they're seeing it again as something that Idaho is trying to you know, reach into their borders and say, you say this is illegal, we, we say it's not, so we want to stop you from doing what you're doing. It kind of makes sense though, because we fall within the same circuit court, right? Though this is all happening at the federal court level? Correct. Uh, this is all through the Ninth Circuit, and um, it's it's unclear to me what exactly our our states want to argue. But the briefing that they filed said basically that because of this Texas ruling, the drug will somehow become more unsafe, or at least it won't be approved for marketing. And so, if it's still being used in Washington, that's going to cause a spillover effect of some kind that will make it unsafe for our residents. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out and if, if they're allowed to intervene because that hasn't been ruled on yet. Okay, interesting. And so as we have these conflicting rulings out of the Ninth Circuit here in the West, out of the, um, I believe it's the Fifth Circuit yeah. over in Texas, um, has that made it up to the Supreme Court? Have they issued any sort of guidance or told anybody to keep a status quo in place? On Friday, I think it was, uh, the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court said we needed to stay whatever was going on in Texas and just leave things as they are for now. And they indicated that they're going to issue an actual opinion on Wednesday this week. Um, so we'll see what that is and we'll go from there. Um, but regardless of that, Washington's judge has kind of reiterated that no matter what happens with that case in Texas, those 17 states are protected for right now under his order to keep the status quo. 
And that's not the only abortion-related news that uh, has been happening around Attorney General Raul Labrador's office. Um, he had issued a opinion to a lawmaker earlier in the year about whether Idaho's criminal abortion laws precluded doctors from um, prescribing things like mifepristone via a telehealth-type way, as well as uh, referring people to abortion providers over state lines. Um, he was then sued by regional Planned Parenthood arm over that and kind of rescinded that guidance. But remind me where things are at there. Did I sum it up? Is Planned Parenthood still suing him even though he backtracked? What's going on? Yeah. Um, Planned Parenthood is kind of deciding their options right now. Um, they have indicated that they plan to uh, sue over Idaho's House Bill 242 as well which is the one about abortion trafficking for minors who haven't gotten permission from their parents. And any adult who takes them across state lines to go get an abortion is potentially indicated in a felony. Um, so I think after those moves from Labrador to rescind that letter, they've kind of been weighing their options of what, what's the best way forward. I don't know if it's been decided yet whether that letter kind of takes away the standing of the lawsuit but it seems like it might. Uh, and so if, if that happens, I think I would expect them to launch another lawsuit over the bill itself and that law, um, but we'll see what happens there. Sure, and, and to be clear, that law is specifically taking a minor across state lines to obtain an abortion without the parent's consent. Lawmakers Correct. wanted to iterate several times that parents can still take their child across state lines to get an abortion if that's their family's decision. Yes. At the end of the day, as we wait for the federal courts to sort out the mifepristone issue and um, determine whether the FDA acted appropriately in approving this drug, where does that leave those of us living in Idaho where abortion is illegal and criminalized? Well, we are not protected by that 17-state order, uh, so we would fall under whatever happens in the Texas case. But until that's litigated out, you know, it's, it's still illegal here. We are still... Our medical providers are still subject to felony charges if they provide any type of abortion care. There's a lot of confusion still over whether they can refer people over state lines because of that opinion by Labrador. And, you know, people's options are still to travel to Washington and Oregon, and that's basically it. <laughs> there, there was a, uh, a really interesting piece by one of your colleagues at, the, at State's Newsroom uh, that profiled a woman who traveled from Idaho over into Ontario to obtain uh, the first part, the mifepristone dose, but decided not to go through with the misoprostol dose and um, went to Staten Healthcare, which is a pro-life anti-abortion um, clinic network that's based out of Meridian. And that was also a very interesting read and I'd recommend listeners go to that. Yeah, and Stanton is actually the one that requested that letter from AG Labrador through representative Brent Crane and that was an aspect of Labrador's rescinding of that letter that he thought was offensive, was to actually use Stanton as kind of a proxy with that legislator. So Stanton's been kind of the centerpiece of, of Idaho's anti-abortion side um, so far. And um, they like to say that the abortion pill can be reversed. There's not a whole lot of science that backs that up, but um, Sophia talks about that a lot in her piece, and so I would really recommend reading that and seeing those details.
Great. Yeah, we'll link to that as well as the great coverage that you have been doing um, and a few of the national notes from some of your colleagues based in Washington, D.C. Uh, great stuff, State's Newsroom. You guys are doing Thanks. a lot of good work. <laughs> we uh, try. All those links will be down in the show notes for our listeners. Kelsey Mosley-Morris, reproductive rights reporter at State's Newsroom. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Thank you. It was great. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Marcia Franklin, the producer and host of Dialogue. For more than 25 years, we've been bringing you conversations that matter. More than 150 of those conversations are with writers, and now you can take them with you wherever you go, while you're walking, around the house, or in the car. Just search for Dialogue with Marcia Franklin on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms, and remember to subscribe so that new shows download automatically. Enjoy.